We are uh, going through a series this summer where we are studying the questions that God asked in Scripture. And it's really a, a crazy thing to think about the God that we serve. He asks questions. The God who knows all things. Uh, the God who sees the beginning and the end. The God who understands every mystery and yet he asks questions. And we want to pause because maybe when he's asking a question, maybe it's more about us than it is about him, but maybe it explains things about him. So we've been studying those, and today's question is really an odd question because the question is, what are you doing here? And what are you doing here? So it's kind of an odd question, uh, but let's have a little fun with it because let me ask you a question. How exhausted are you? Like, how exhausted are you? Like, wait, I know we're all really busy people, and that's good, and exhaustion is not, a, not bad. We're not trying to curse exhaustion. I'm just trying to assess, what are you doing here? How exhausted are you today? So let's just pause and let's just consider a few things. Like, are you irritable? I mean, like more than normal. And uh, like turn to the person if you're with someone here, maybe ask them if you're irritable. And if they don't want to look at you in the eyes, it's probably because you've been irritable all morning. <laughs> Have you lost your sense of humor? Like there's... There's no celebration in your life. Like you have no time to pause and see the beautiful things and like celebrate them. Like do you ever slow clap your life? You know what I mean? Like have you stopped doing that? Do you have no time for friends? Or maybe you have no friends? Or you hate all your friends? Do you ever find that you sleep all night long and you wake up the next morning and you're not refreshed? Can you not shut your mind off? Do you ever find that anytime you get silent is like a curse, like when you put your head on your pillow, you just can't stop the wheels from turning, they just they're just going and going and going. Is it true in your life that your eating habits have changed and Cheetos is one of the major food groups now? <laughs> like you're, <laughs> you may be exhausted. Do you ever find that life has now become a bunch of have-tos instead of get-tos? That your life is now just about getting the job done and your goal is just to get to the end of the day or if you could just get this project finished or if we could just survive till Saturday, that life is a survival thing just to get through rather than a life to fully live? You may be exhausted. How are you emotionally? And if you're looking at me funny going, what are emotions? You may be exhausted. You find that you're cynical and you're critical about society, about other people, about the news. Then you're not exhausted. You're just rested because you're watching what's going on in the world. No. If you don't really have a clue whether or not you're exhausted or not, it's probably because you're exhausted. So when God says, what are you doing here? This passage is talking about... Uh, if we're gonna be a community of faith, if we're gonna be a community that matures in our faith, if we're gonna be a community that's fully alive emotionally, fully alive relationally, fully alive spiritually, and even fully alive socially, that we understand our role in this world, we have to be careful not to misunderstand exhaustion. Because when we misunderstand exhaustion, here's what happens. When I don't deal with exhaustion, which comes with, with life, when we do good things, they exhaust us, okay? I'm not shaming exhausting. But when I misunderstand exhaustion, 
exhaustion now deals with me. And the way it deals with me is it reshapes everything in my world. You with me? You tracking with me? Okay, we're, we're going to go hard, all right? Because we're going to come to this table. I'm going to exhaust you so that you can come to this table and rest. So let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19. And before I read this very bizarre passage of Scripture, let me set you up. Because what had happened was Israel, the nation of Israel, David was king, if you've read the Old Testament, and then his son Solomon came along. Solomon wasn't such a great dad, and his son Rehoboam really messed things up. And when Rehoboam took over the throne, the kingdom split in the north and the south. And so there were two countries within a country now, and each had their own king. The northern kingdom now was ruled by this king named Ahab. And Ahab had, in scripture, it describes him as saying that Ahab did more evil than any king before him. Like, that's bad. If that's your name, Ahab, and that's your title, you've done bad things. And he's married to the villain of all villains, Jezebel. You ever heard that name before? That was Ahab's wife. And Ahab was like, he was like a choir boy compared to Jezebel. She was dark. I mean, and what they did was they, they drop-kicked Jehovah the God of Israel, out of the northern kingdom, which was called Israel. It's a little confusing. But, and they, they put in its place another worship, and they worshiped this God called Baal. And this was a dark worship. It was the kind of worship where if you really were devoted to Baal, like you would sacrifice your children on the altar of Baal. And there's a lot of scenes in Scripture where Ahab established his kingdom on the bloods and bones of his children. These were, this was a dark couple. So, in that time, there was a prophet named Elijah, and Elijah was a prophet. He was a mediator between God and his people, and his job was to keep calling people back to God, keep coming back, keep back. But man, it's, it was so bad that Elijah kind of disappeared and a drought fell, fell on the land for three years. And everybody's thinking, this is, the, this is the end of the northern kingdom, and Elijah comes out of hiding. Bum, bum, bum. And he, and he finds a messenger and says, tell Ahab, it's time for the showdown. And so he calls Ahab and all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah to meet him up on top of this mountain called Carmel. And he says, we're going to go up there once and for all. We're going to determine if Jehovah is God or if Baal is God. So they all gather and the nation, it says the nation of Israel gathered. So thousands upon thousands of people are up at the top of this mountain. And Elijah said, here's the plan. If y'all have heard this story before, stop me. All right. <clears throat> Okay, so <laughs> Elijah says, this is what we're going to do. You build an altar, I'm going to build an altar. You put your sacrifice on your altar, I'll put the sacrifice on my altar. You pray to your God to send fire down to consume the altar. I'll pray to my God to send fire down to consume the altar. Burn offerings. Whichever God can actually do that, that's the true God, and that's who we'll worship. So y'all go first. So Baal, they, they set up, it's like a thousand of these priests, and they have this crazy cultural ritual that they're cutting themselves, and they're screaming out to their God, and they're dancing, and they're going into trances. I mean, it's a bizarre scene, a thousand of them dancing around this altar, begging their God to call down fire. From the time the sun comes up to the time the sun goes down, nothing happens. Elijah said, step aside. And he not only built his altar, but if you remember the story, he took, it was a drought, he took four jugs of water, like giant cisterns of water, and poured it. He drenched the altar in water. And then he did it again. And then he did it again to where there were just pools of water all over. 
He got on his knees and he prayed and God sent fire from heaven down and consumed the altar. And all the people were like, Jehovah is the God of Israel. They all fell on their knees and they repented. And they said, yes, we will worship the Lord. In fact, they not only, when they got up from their knees, they turned on the prophets of Baal and they killed every one of them. Here was a moment of unbelievable victory, unbelievable revival. This was the highlight of Elijah's career. You know, finally everybody's listening to me. You got that? Okay. First King chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, may the gods... Now, she's saying, I'm speaking a message to you in the name of the gods that you just debunked and we all know doesn't exist, all right? Okay, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I don't make your life like one of them. In other words, you're gonna die. It, and the gods are gonna help me. The gods you just proved don't exist. I'm, I'm coming in their name and I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> you know, and so Elijah goes, Seriously? No. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Just drink that in for a minute. These Bible people, they're just like you. All right? He ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, what is he doing? He came under a broom tree or a broom brush because it was the only shade. He sat down under it, and this is when he decided to pray. And what did he pray? That he might die. I've had enough. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. So you hear what happened. The greatest victory he has ever experienced in his ministry, the greatest display of God's glory, the greatest repentance of the nation of the northern kingdom of Israel has now turned back to God, and he's now in the desert saying, I've had enough. I've had enough. In fact, I'm done. You just kill me now. You ever felt that way? No? It's okay, I'm content with it only being me. <laughs> All at once, an angel touched him and slapped him across the face and said, you idiot, what are you doing out here? <laughs> and that's not what he did. And I say that as a joke, but I say it as a contrast because that's what we believe God does to us when we're exhausted and we act like a fool. That God's going to come and choke me out and say, you better get your tail back to church and be a good person. That's not what he does at all. That's exhaustion talking. Because listen to the one who is never exhausted. He goes, and the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and guess what he did? He went back to sleep. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights into the desert to meet with God. 
you know where you are? Like, do you know when you get exhausted? Like, have you ever gone on a vacation um, where you didn't have anything to do? I'm not talking about a vacation with kids because that's not a vacation. I'm talking about, have you ever been on vacation with you and your friends or you and your spouse and you get there and you trip and you fall on the couch and you go to sleep? and you wake up and it's time to eat dinner and you eat dinner and all you want to do is go back to bed and you sleep for almost two days and this comes out of your mouth. I had no idea how tired I was. Have you ever had that experience? Is it, is it possible to be unaware of exhaustion? And is it possible that when I'm unaware of something as simple as my exhaustion, even when I've been doing great stuff and I'm exhausted, that that exhaustion now is dealing with me instead of me dealing in a healthy way with my exhaustion. In fact, you know, that's true about all of life. Do you know that if you're not aware when you're angry, like every one of you experiences anger. Some of you grew up in a home where you name it something else like just being sarcastically nice. But all of us grew up, we all have anger. If you don't know when you're angry, do you know that your anger deals with you instead of you dealing with your anger? And the way anger deals with you is often everybody around you has to deal with your anger. Do you know when you're sad or when you're grief, when you're grieving? Do you know that everybody in this room, you've all lost something. We've all experienced loss, which means you've all experienced what sadness and grief is, whether you're aware of it or not. And if you're not aware of it, then grief and sadness is dealing with you rather than you dealing with it. In fact, do you know that you have limits? Like, you, you have limits. Are you aware of your limits and that you have limits? I know it's a cuss word to some of you. There's actually a movie. Who is it that was in the movie Limitless? Have you ever seen that movie Limitless where this guy took a pill and it made him limitless? Like, he had a brain that could, you know, fandom every situation. He could see into the future. Like, just by taking a pill, it made him invincible because he had no limits anymore. Boy, that's just such a fantasy, isn't it? It would be amazing because all of us have limits. You have mental limits. Like some of you, do you know that some of you are amazing at languages? Like you pick up languages like that. And I wish that was true about me. I have a limit. My brain does not work like that. I, languages are so hard for me. And so is chemistry. It's just really hard for me, you know? And so is discipline. That's really hard for me. And not eating cake. That's hard for me, all right? Wait a minute, self-confessions. But you know... We all have limits. There are things that your brain does, but there's also things that your brain is not great at. Some of you, like you can meet somebody and they tell you their name and you can see them 10 years from now and you remember their name. Some of you will meet somebody when you walked in here and you can't remember their name now. Like, what was their name again? Was it Carol, Kathy, Susan? Like, we have limits. But you also have not just mental limits, you also have physical limits. And the reason I know that is that none of you are in Tokyo right now. <laughs> you have physical limits. If you did not, you would be in Tokyo. You have time limits, you can't do everything, you can't be everywhere, that is impossible to do. You have financial limits, you can't, you don't have limitlessness in finances. In fact, when you live financially like you have no financial limits, then those limits are actually dealing with you rather than you dealing with your limits. But some of you are married, and because you're married, you, that limits you. You can't live like you're not married. 
Like this is a primary commitment in your life and to live like you don't have that primary commitment in your life is to refuse and kick off that limit. And if you don't acknowledge that limit, that limit's gonna deal with you. Some of you have kids. Kids are a huge limit because you've committed yourself to raising these little people, these little humans now. They get a lot of your time. That means that you can't go to Garth Brooks last night. And when it got canceled, stay on Broadway till four in the morning. You can't do that. You have little kids to go back to. You know what happens when, when we're not conscious of our limits and we're not conscious of the rub when we rub up against our limits. Like you can't work 80 hours a week and not be exhausted. You would like to think you can, but you can't. That's just denial of exhaustion. And when you don't acknowledge your limits and you don't acknowledge when you rub up against them what it feels like so that you can deal with it and it deals with you, we do things to ourselves that's dark. Like we start to shame ourselves. Like we start comparing ourselves to other people. We compare our weaknesses to their strength and we ridicule ourselves. We call ourselves names. We start demanding things from ourselves that we could never achieve. We start to compare our body image with other people's body image. We see those Olympics and we think that's what I should look like, you know, which is not even fair because, well, we won't get into that, but. And we start using language like I should be better at that. I shouldn't be tired. I should have known better. And then we see right here in Elijah, he didn't stop. He ran. Why? Because he was afraid. When I'm exhausted, it changes everything I see. Like, it throws a dark cloud over everything. And even my greatest victories now become a bunch of yeah buts. That was great, but. And we always live after the but, don't we? So Elijah, fear comes in his life. We had time this morning. We could talk about how unhealthy fear that's fueled by exhaustion is always going to cause us to run from something instead of run to something. We could also talk about <clears throat> this morning how, well, let me, can I just read you a little later? The Lord says to him, says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And listen to what he says, I've been very zealous for you, Lord. <laughs> okay. Win-win. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Wait a minute. They just knelt in repentance. They've torn down your altars. No, they didn't. They just saw the fire come down on your altar. And they put your prophets to death with the sword. No, they just put the Baal prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. They're not trying to kill you, Elijah. Jezebel's trying to uh, kill you. See, in his exhaustion, you see what he did? He took reality and he completely twisted it and turned it into something that fueled his fear rather than something that he looked at truthfully and honestly. You ever do that? When you're exhausted, your relationships are all bad, your job is all bad, your health is all bad, you hate your house, you hate your car, you hate your clothes, you hate your shoes, like everything. Yes, shoes. That ever happened to you? Is this just self-confession up here? Okay. <laughs> Have you ever said to God, all the things that were a blessing to me yesterday, I hate them today, and I just want out of all of it? Now, 
So we're coming to the table. So let's come to the table. Because I, I want to encourage you that what the Lord did to Elijah, he wants to do to you today. And he's saying, wherever you are in your exhaustion, maybe you're emotionally exhausted. Maybe you sleep way too much because emotionally you're just exhausted. Maybe you're mentally exhausted because you're on a treadmill of trying to figure your life out or you're on a treadmill trying to figure everybody else's life out. Or maybe you're physically exhausted because you've worked so much because you're really convinced that if you just go faster, then you can fix it. Whatever your exhaustion is or wherever it's coming from, listen to what the Lord did to Elijah. He said, Elijah, why don't you sleep? When you wake up, I've made you some bread. What kind of bread do you think that was? Sourdough? Whole grain? I like to think it was cinnamon raisin. Like, <laughs> yeah, when he, it was over hot coals, which means he woke up. God didn't have to do that. It could have been cold bread. What did he do? God was cooking fresh bread so that when he wake, woke up, it wasn't just his mouth and his tummy that felt pleasure, but it was also all his senses. God didn't have to do that. And he gave him fresh water. And then what he said, he said, eat. Do you know in the night that Christ um, was betrayed, before he went to the cross, he gathered all his friends together and he goes, I'm going to give you a meal from God and I'm calling you to come and eat. And at this table, he has prepared something that we get to taste and we get to touch and we get to participate in. And, and it's the beauty of the Lord displayed for you today. Because here's what the beauty of this table is, and this is why the table is a table of rest. Is that when, the, when Christ went to the cross, he took all my sins with him and he paid the penalty. He became the sacrifice on the altar that the fire of heaven came down for you. And he took your sins and he says, they're, far, they're gone as far as the east is from the west. That meant that all of God's wrath that was stored up since the beginning of time to pour out on the sins of man, all that wrath, all that punishment, all that righteous punishment, Jesus took that cup and he drank it all. So that when God comes to us, he's got no more wrath for you. Zero wrath for you. What does he have for you now? Now that the wrath is gone, what he has for you is gentleness. Or another way to say it is grace. And let me give you one example of what that means. Do you know that for the first time in our lives when we realize that when I come to God, I'm not coming to him like this, like, you know, no, I'm exhausted, please help, but I'm coming to him like this, like, oh, come on, bring your gentleness and grace to me, feed me till I want no more. And he gives me his son to feast upon in the work of Christ on the cross. For the first time in my life, I'm not resting from all my weaknesses. For the first time in my life, I'm resting in my weaknesses. You know what exhausts me? Not being enough. How does it exhaust me? You know how exhausting it is not to have enough? Not to be enough? Always think about if only, if could, if should, if would. And we're constantly running. If I get fit enough or if I make enough, or if I get successful enough, or if I just cross that finish line, we're running from our weaknesses. If I could just get stronger, if I could just get better, if I could just make it work, if everybody in this room would just admire me, like, boom, my weaknesses are chasing me. I'm spending my whole life running from them. At this table, it says, no, no, no. 
rest in your weaknesses. What does that mean? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was suffering. The apostle Paul was suffering because he was going blind. And he was actually healing people. Like, the, the miracles of Paul's life were astounding. Like, he would walk in and just, like, heal people. And yet, he healed thyself. He couldn't do it. He kept praying. He said, three times I prayed that God, supernatural, possible Paul prayers, God, heal my blindness. God wouldn't do it. And listen to what he said. I pleaded with God to take away this affliction. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults in hardships and in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul didn't just stop with going, I'm not going to run from my weaknesses. I'm going to rest in my weaknesses. I can't see. I'm going to rest in every weakness of my life. Even when I'm persecuted. Even when people don't like me. Even when things don't work out for me. Even when that person at work turns on me, stabs me in the back. Even when that relationship goes dark and I'm struggling, I'm going to boast in that. Because in that weakness, in that weakness, I'm strong. Because here's what happens. When I'm able to rest in my weaknesses, it opens my eyes to something. 1 Kings chapter 19. God takes Elijah. He's out in the desert. He takes him over to this mountain and kind of pushes him into the cliff of the rock. And listen what happens. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then a wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, listen to what came. A gentle whisper. Grace. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And the Lord said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know how he answered? I'm here because I'm all alone. Elijah finally got honest with God. I'm exhausted, I've had enough, and I'm all alone. And in that place, he boasted in his weakness, and God declared, hear the truth. You are not alone. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of anyone For the Lord your God is with you. He'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. And this is what I'm pleading with you as we come to this. Many people come to church and say, if I could just figure out a way just to get something to make this life better, like make me go faster, like at work. I just want something to work. I was at the mall, Green Hills Mall, the other day, two weeks ago. And I walked in, you've been there, and people are running around, and you just see, I saw a lot of people that looked exhausted from chasing all their love affairs, you know? And they've got their bags everywhere and they're running in and out of, is it Golden Goose? Is that the name of that place? Like, amazing. Anyway, and, I, and they're running around and I, I thought, you guys need to rest. Like, you need to stop. You need to eat some cinnamon raisin bread and drink some water and just sleep. And, but they needed to rest so that they could reboot on their love affair of running around the mall. 
Then I went down to Nordstrom's coffee shop because of course I'm not like any of those other people. And, uh, and I'm waiting in line to get coffee and I look over, have you ever been there, that big seated area where people go to, that, that are exhausted? And over one of the tables was this young couple and they were, uh, the only way I can say it is they were pretzeling, you know? Like their legs were twisted together and their arms and they were just looking at each other and they were just giggling and whispering in each other's ears. I mean, it was like, bro, I don't know where one starts and the other stops. And like they could care less about all the shops, all the stuff that was being sold, all the prizes that were being won around them all. And here's what I say. Is it possible that God is not trying to get you to learn about exhaustion so that you can just rush back out and get caught up in a love affair that has nothing to do with being alive? What if he's trying to get you rest so that you can pause and pretzel with the one who loved you? And you can hear him whisper in your ear to where now your weaknesses allow you to hear the whisper more clearly. Thank God for my witnesses. That your exhaustion is the opportunity now to find a strength that is greater than yourself. Thank God for exhaustion. That all your emotions, even fear, is a gift from him to bring you so deeply into what life really is, what you were really made for, him. So that's what we're doing here. We're coming to feast because on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. He says, do this in remembrance. Remember, I am with you. But he says, also do it with proclaiming over our lives. That truth we proclaim. So here's how I'd encourage you to like to come to this table. Would you bring your exhaustion and leave it here and come and rest in the one who whispers in your ear, you are not alone? Would you come and bring all of it, be honest with God, about where you're at and ask him in that place to come and meet you and come and taste the goodness of your Lord, the meal that has been prepared for you at the cost of his own life. All right, Lord, we uh, just come to you right now and just confess our need for you. That's hard to do because, Lord, uh, we don't want to need anybody. I don't want to live my life dependent I want to live my life independent. I don't want to live my life with limits. I want to live my life with bigger and bigger limitlessness. And yet, Lord, you say that in rest and repentance, we will find salvation. And I pray that, Lord, you would come now and meet us in our need for both of those things. Would you bless the elements of this table? Lord, bless the meditations of our heart. Lord, protect and guard our minds in the peace of Christ Jesus. Amen.